Hello and welcome to the Living Wholeheartedly podcast. My name is Heather Morris and I'm the General Secretary of the Methodist Church in Ireland. As a connection, as a church family, we're committed to living wholeheartedly as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world. In this podcast series, to which we hope you will subscribe, we're going to hear and tell stories. We're going to have honest conversations about what wholehearted Christian faith looks like today. A faith that is lived out in the real world every day. A faith that doesn't shy away from hard questions. A faith that's committed to working for change where there's injustice or poverty or lack of opportunities. Living wholeheartedly as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world. You're welcome to the Living Wholeheartedly podcast. We are speaking with Bishop Everell Galbraith, who is the Connectional President of the Methodist Church in the Caribbean and the Americas. Everell, you're very, very welcome and thank you for sharing with us in this time. Thank you. You're based in Antigua at the minute, I understand, Mm -hmm. but you're no stranger to these shores and to Irish Methodism. Can you tell us a little bit about your links with Ireland and your history with this place? Thank you. Thank you very much, Heather. It is indeed good to be here. Um, Good to be in Ireland again after 41 years. And I'm very happy to be sharing in this podcast and trust that it will be a blessing to all of us. The Irish experience in my life is is a long one. Um, It began in 1978 Mm -hmm. um, after graduating from Cliff College. I came to Ireland to work with the Methodist Youth Department in the Youth Evangelism team, YET3. Um, It came about because the then um, Youth Director, Reverend John Knox, came to Cliff College in England and um, invited persons to apply to come to work with the Youth Evangelism team. And I was one of five persons who applied and I was successful myself and another young lady from Macclesfield in, in England, Helen. Um, and so we came over in late August to join with the team at Five Fountainville Avenue, where we, we all lived. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from Jamaica, of course, that was a very new experience for me, not only for England, but also to come here um, to work with the youth department in that capacity. Um, and so thus began my my journey in Ireland, which lasted three years, okay. actually. Yes, um, one year with the youth evangelism team and then two years with the Lurgan Circuit, Lurgan High Street Circuit, as a lay evangelist in the Brownlow end of the circuit. Very good. Yes. So what are some of your memories of that time? What are the, the things that have <laughs> abided with you over the 41 years? Okay. Well, um, a number of things. Um, 
one of the things that stuck with me was my experience playing cricket for the Portadown Cricket Club. Cricket. Um, where I, I did um, excel in ma- on many Saturdays uh-huh. playing for them. And, and I enjoyed the fellowship playing with them um, over those two years. I also recognize the significant role that my experience in Ireland played in my development. Um, because when I came to Ireland, I had just I was a local preacher on trial okay. in Jamaica, completed my studies at Cliff College, um, which then um, did the four subjects which I needed to complete to become an accredited preacher. Mm-hmm. But my accreditation actually took place in Ireland. Oh, wonderful. So yeah. I'm actually a, a local preacher in the Methodist Church in Ireland. Excellent. My trial service was done at Finicky uh-huh. Methodist Church, and I was also accredited on the 28th of October, um, nine, seven, 1979, at Finicky Methodist Church. Um, so that holds a very special place in my Christian life and in my journey as a Methodist minister. Also, I needed at the time at least four O-levels to be able to candidate for the ministry. That was the academic qualification that was required. And I didn't have four O-levels. And so I went to Portadown Community College where I did my O-levels to get me qualified to become a candidate for the ministry. And so those have stuck out stood out very prominently in my mind, not to mention a number of the relationships which we developed mm-hmm. while I worked at Brownlow and in the Lurgan High Street circuit those two years. The friends I made um, with persons like Irene Dixon, mm-hmm. uh, with, with Audrey Robinson and Alex Robinson and the family, and Eileen Kingham and all those persons, not to mention the McNabs from Bluestone, which was my Christmas home, oh. from home every year, and those wonderful experiences that we had. Yes, yeah, so it was, these are significant things that have remained with me all these years. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and I give God thanks to them. That's just wonderful. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Then knowing this church and this connection, um, you'll not be surprised that we are uh, focusing on mission. And um, specifically at this time on living wholeheartedly as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world. Mm -hmm. From your experience in the Caribbean and the Americas, could you help us with that? Do you have stories you could share with us from your own life or the lives of folks that you've met that would help us to spark our imaginations to think about what living wholeheartedly for Jesus Mm -hmm. might look like? Yeah. Well, um, a number of things. Um, living wholeheartedly and in terms of transformation of society and the world. The fact is, it begins with me. Right. It, it calls for a personal commitment to Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, I was, I was confirmed in 1973. Right. And in 1974, while I completed my high school, I made, for the first time, a conscious decision to accept Christ as my Savior. It was May 1974. I'll never forget the experience. Mm-hmm. And it was after that, in two, a year later, after, because I left high school, and then for a year I 
really hadn't tried to get jobs. I tried to go into the police force. Right. I tried to become a soldier um, and nothing was happening for me. And it was at that point that I, I said to God, what is it you want me to do? And then shortly after that, I, I had a dream, which for me was a vision. Okay. I was standing on a street in Montego Bay on St. James Street outside Woolworth's store. I mean, it was as vivid as that. Yeah. And persons were passing to and fro. And a voice said to me, do you recognize that nine out of ten persons passing you are on their way to hell? And in when I woke up the morning and remember the dream, I said to God, I will serve you as a minister. Wonderful. It was after that I went to my minister, Reverend Bernard Arnold, who is from England, and I said to him, I believe God is calling me into the ministry. And he, he was excited, mm -hmm. and he began to show me and told me about what needed to happen. And after that... Um, I, I I got a job teaching at the primary school that I attended. Okay. And it was then he introduced me to Cliff College and made all the arrangements as much as he could, paid some of my down payments and all those sort of things mm -hmm. to ensure that I could get to get to Cliff College. And thus began that journey. And so for me that that commitment was really the turning point, turning point in my life. The journey has not been easy okay. by any stretch of the imagination. Um, when I when I was in I, when I was in Ireland, I went to with the Irish young people on three mission trips to Germany. Right. And on the second mission trip, we were playing football um, in Würzburg, and the ball hit me in this eye. Right. Now, if, I, if you look at my eye, you would never know that anything is wrong with it. No. But if I do like this, mm -hmm. I can only see pieces of you. Right. Because it is damaged. Okay. Um, it happened on the Friday. We came back to Belfast on the Monday, and I went straight to Royal Victoria Hospital mm -hmm. for two weeks. And during those two weeks in the hospital, I, I questioned God. Because when the doctor told me how badly damaged the eye was, I wondered if I would ever be able to see out of it again. And I remember asking God, how is it you want me to become a minister? And I said, yes. And now this has happened to me. Mm -hmm. And it, was, it, it became a struggle for me during those week, the second week in the hospital and a few weeks after. Because I kept on asking God, why? Mm -hmm. And of course, yeah. there was no answer. There was no answer. But, but through that experience and, and the fact that it has not affected my studies mm -hmm. and I've been able to go through theological college and do postgraduate studies has helped me to recognize that when God calls you, whatever it requires for you to do what God wants you to do, as long as you are prepared to follow Christ, then God will make the way for you. Mm -hmm. um, in 2009, um, we had an experience in which when our youngest child died, oh, sorry. Um, she died in April 2009, I was appointed president of the Jamaica district in January 
and she did a minor surgery and never came out of the hospital. And when she died in April, it, it, it was devastating, literally devastating. Um, she was our sweetest child, um, most precious, and, and um, it was devastating. And even now, when I think about her and I reflect on her, it, it really bothered me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things, I, I, I was, as I said, I was appointed in, in January and September I became the, the, the president of the district. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Janelle's passing did for me was it forced me and encouraged me to recognize that no one is too young to die. And also that it is important that even the children understand and know that God loves them. Um, We were on holiday in Miami Mm -hmm. the year before. And one night I was up late watching television and Janelle came out of her room where she was sleeping, crying. And... When I eventually got her to settle down and ask her what was wrong, she was crying and saying that she just realized how much God loves her. Oh. Now this was this was in um, nineteen sorry two thousand and eight August. Mm-hmm. She died two thousand and nine April. And so for me that became a very telling moment in my journey and my understanding of ministry and how important it is to minister to, to minister to children mm-hmm. to help them to know and understand that God loves them and that God cares for them and that they have a role to play in the kingdom of God as well. Absolutely. And that has had a very a tremendous impact mm-hmm. on my ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I just give God thanks for those experiences because they have helped to not just to, to, to focus my mind, but also to help me to live um, a life that is transformative mm-hmm. and a life that understands and, and values the experiences that we have in life. Because the truth is, all our experiences are lessons mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if we approach them the right way, exactly. because there is something to learn from everything that we go exactly. through in life. And I can mm. see how, you know, you have learned from Janelle's passing and yeah. from, you know, from the experience with your eye and how God has used those against all odds. Uh, in against the, you know, all odds. What, yeah. in the midst of those situations, you know, when you were lying in the hospital asking mm-hmm. God why, or in the devastation after Janelle's death, mm-hmm. what, what helped you to keep going? Why, why stay in relationship with God when everything's falling apart? <laughs> because when I accepted Christ in, in 1974, when I made that decision, a conscious decision to accept Christ, the person who spoke to me was one of my high school students, fellow students. And he, the question he asked me was, Everald, are you a Christian? And I said to him, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. And then he looked me in the eye and he said to me, Everell, you can't try to be a Christian. You must decide to become a Christian and try to live the Christian life. Okay. And then he went on to say to me 
that it is important to remember that it is not you who loves God, but it is God who loves you. And so for me, that, that became a defining moment in my life and experience because I now understood better that it was not so much about me, but it was about God and how I respond to God. And so those experiences, I, I understood them that God was still in con con control and that God's love for me was as real as whether or not these things had happened. Mm -hmm. and, and that made the difference in my journey. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And God has called you now to be connectional president and serving the the church across Caribbean <laughs> and the Americas. He has. As he you has. as and so helpful for you to say that this begins with your own relationship with God oh, and that sense oh, yes. of calling. Yeah. As you as you look at the church that God has called you to serve, what are your dreams for MCCA? What do you long to see? I long to see an MCCA that is growing. Okay. That is growing because we have not experienced the growth in membership as we would, as, as I believe God expects of us okay. as a church. Um, our Methodist Church in the Caribbean and the Americas began really as, like, like the Methodist Church, as a movement mm -hmm. where, where the church was growing because. The laypersons were involved and they were excited and wherever they went and there was no witness of the Methodist church, they would begin, begin to do things for the church. Um, and we grew as a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, but somehow over the years we have become stuck and we have platooed yeah. and somehow we seem to be, not seem, we are really heading down rather than up as yeah. we should be. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I desperately hope to see a church that is growing, that is reaching out and making believers. I, I want to see a church where there are the members, ministers and lay are equipped to serve because I believe very firmly in the priesthood of all believers. And I believe that all Christians are ministers. Yeah. There are some who are ordained mm -hmm. and some who are not. And so I, I want to see a church where our members understand that they are ministers. And that our role as, as ordained ministers is to ensure that these persons are properly equipped to do the work that God has called them to Absolutely. do. You know, and, and interestingly that since COVID, we are discovering more and more the, the number of other areas of ministry mm -hmm. within the church. Yeah. Because it's not just local preaching or Sunday school teaching, right. but even the technology now that is necessary. And, and to help our members to see that the person who cleans the church is in ministry. Yeah. The person who hands out those bulletins or welcome you at the door is a minister. Absolutely. And the, the, the person who takes care of the technology to ensure that it is being streamed live yes. is in ministry. So I, I want to see that. I also want to see a church that is responsive to the needs of the community mm -hmm. and is working for the transformation of lives within the community. Yeah. And, and very, very importantly, an MCCA that is viable and self-sustaining. Okay. 
So interestingly, what I've just outlined to you is, is the, the four pillars of our strategic direction, okay. which we have just developed and approved at conference last year. Very good. Um, thanks to All We Can. Um, they have helped us and have been financing our retreats and, and workshops to help us to develop this, this, this vision for the MCC. And, and that's what we're working on. And that's, I mean, I have outlined to you what is my vision, but also what has become the, the, the vision of a number of us who have been a part of this experience. But this is what we want to see for our church. Absolutely. Yeah. There are so many similarities between our connections as you're going through those things. I'm thinking, yes, okay. <laughs> that's, that's where that's where we are too in terms of hopes and in terms of a people who are living wholeheartedly for Jesus, yes. Um, yes. seeing that growth, seeing folks using their gifts, yeah. Um, yeah. helping each other to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of comf- on the community transformation, have you seen little shoots of that? So I understand that it's the beginning of that strategy but have you stories to tell of growth or or that sort of discipleship um there there have been things happening over the years mm-hmm. um where where we see churches different churches of course the mcca um i might just point out is a is a church that covers a very wide area of from guyana in south america to panama costa rica in central america and honduras belize and then all the Caribbean islands, right. um, or at least most of them, including Haiti and, and so forth. And so there, there um, are varieties and various needs across the areas that we work with. Um, for example, we work with our schools. Mm-hmm. In Jamaica, there are quite a lot of schools. I mean, over 100 schools between elementary and, and high schools and preschool, basic okay. schools. Right. And so... The, 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 the involvement of the church in education is having a very positive impact, not as much as we would like, but a positive impact in that the church and, and the chaplains are able to interact with persons and, and help persons in their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, we, have, we have facilities like... The, the National Children's Home, which we operated as a church, as a Methodist church in Jamaica, right. and, and home for retired persons. And here, again, we see where the church is hands-on trying to make a difference in people's lives and helping them to respond to their needs at a particular time in their life's journey. Um, these are hard because many times we don't have the financial support to do all that is needed, mm-hmm. but we try, mm-hmm. we try, and and th- those things are very important. In Haiti, the responses are even more urgent, and and the church there is making efforts, strides. Um, for example, since the hurricane, mm-hmm. the church has been involved in helping persons to get back their homes. Yes. Those who have survived the hurric- the earthquake. Um, in in British Virgin Islands, for example, where a lot of persons lost their homes after the two major hurricanes in 2017, mm-hmm. again the church is there trying to help in whatever small ways they can. In Bahamas, after Hurricane Dorian, which sat on one of the islands for days and just devastated it, 
again, the church, many times with the help of our partners in the United States and in England, have been responding and helping people to rebuild their lives. And, and those are some very positive and life-changing experiences. Okay. And, and persons who experience the church and the love of God through the church in those ways have responded well mm-hmm. to, to the life of the church. That's and, really and great. We give God thanks for those experiences. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And thinking and circling back to those, you know, those, those pillars, you know, the growth and, yeah. and, and um, you know, everybody involved, involved in ministry, what, what in your experience have been the things that have, that have helped Christians to do that and to live those sorts of lives? You know, how can we help each other to, mm. to grow as disciples, to, to be used by God and bringing folks to, to faith in Jesus? Have insights there? Um, I th- I th- well, first of all, I think it's, it's helpful for persons to, to remember that the church is the body of Christ at work in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are really continuing what Jesus started. Yes, uh, We are his successors, in a sense. Um, and that he, God, Jesus and God is depending on us mm-hmm. to do, to do what we, whatever we can, um, guided, of course, by God and the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. Um, it it is it is quite rewarding actually mm-hmm. when when you can interact with somebody and help them to understand who they are mm-hmm. and and the fact that they are God's creation they are made in God's image that no matter what the negative experiences of life are that they are of value to God and that as as a representative of Christ that you love them and you they you can um God loves them through you and you become a vessel in God's hand mm-hmm. to to love and support these persons uh, and that that's one of the ways in which you try to help persons to understand and to live meaningful lives. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And you know this connection, this Irish connection a mm-hmm. little and have kept in touch, I know, through some folks over the yes. years. Can I ask you a hard question? Mm-hmm. If, as you look at the Methodist Church in Ireland, are there things that you would want to say to us or pray for us as, as we try to... Well, maybe try and try is the wrong mm, word, maybe in light mm, of what you said mm. earlier on. But as we partner with God in living wholeheartedly, are there things that you'd want to say to challenge us, to encourage us? Um, of course, well, I've, I, as you said, I've kept in touch maybe over the years. The, the, the contacts have um, diminished mm. greatly. <laughs> um, but but I, in, term, in terms of the church yeah. generally... I would want to say that, and, and like us in the Caribbean, we need to be willing to change. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I believe God, God, God is seeking a people who are willing to move with God. Yeah. The, the Jesus said to, to Nicodemus that the spirit, you hear the sound thereof. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. Mm-hmm. In other words, God is unpredictable. Yeah. 
you you can't you can't determine where God works. And unfortunately, over the years, churches, and I'm almost certain it's the same here in Ireland, we become very rigid. Yeah. We accept these things, this is what it is, and this is what it must be. And I believe that there are times when God is saying, I'm ready to move. Are you ready? And, and most times we are not ready to move. And so as a result, we, we, we miss out sometimes on what God is doing and what God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, if, if there's anything I'd want to say to the church here, is to be open, to be open to what God is doing or God may be saying, um, to recognize that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who is our guide and our enabler, is, is moving and, and that we must be prepared to be ready to move as God bids us move. Um, so in the Caribbean, we are struggling with, with having our young people in church and keeping mm-hmm. our young people in church. I, I would same. be surprised if it's not the same in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things, and, and many times it's because um, we, we, we are not hearing what they are saying we are not willing to to respond to the needs of the young people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been saying to our people that, listen, the church is for present and future. Yeah. When I'm gone, when you are gone, the church must go on. Absolutely. And so we need not only to look at the now, but whatever we do in the now must be that which will help us to go to what is tomorrow, yeah. whenever that is. Um, and so the, the one would hope that the church would respond. So there are times when we'll have to become contemporary mm-hmm. to hear what, the, what he is and understand what, what people are asking for. And not that you're not going to provide guidance, because sometimes not everything that we hear and would like is necessarily the best for That's us. True. But so we need to hear, and, and this is where asking God's direction becomes important. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it would be good to have a church that is responsive to the context and to the needs and to be willing to change as, as the Spirit of God bids us change and to hear the cries of those around us and respond according to the needs that are with us. It's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much, Everell. Thank you for, for sharing with us uh, in this podcast. It is, it is reassuring that we hold so much in common as okay. partners in the gospel and in terms of the challenges that we're facing as churches yeah. uh, and in the fact that God's at work across the world, whether that's in the Caribbean and Americas and in Ireland. Thank you so much for, for your wisdom and, and insight. Um, may I pray uh, just as we finish? Thank you very much. Yeah. Loving God, we thank you that your spirit continues to hover over the face of the whole earth. Mm. Thank you for your love, which streams to every person who has ever lived and ever will live. Your love that invites us to relationship with you in Jesus. Your love that holds us through the most difficult of situations. Your love that calls us on, that calls us deeper, Mm -hmm. that calls us out into the world that you love. 
Thank you for Everald. We pray for your blessing on him and on the church in the Caribbean and the Americas. That it might be a church which in the power of your spirit is growing. That it would be a church where all men, women and children exercise and use the gifts that you have given. That it would be a church which in the grace of your spirit impacts the communities around them. All for the glory of Jesus. Mm. And as we pray for your blessing on the church in the Caribbean and the Americas, we pray too for the Methodist Church in Ireland that we would be open to the breath and wind of your spirit, that we would be willing to change and lay down that which needs to be laid down and take up that which you're calling us to take up, that the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you for watching and for listening today. Can I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast? In that way you'll receive new editions as they become available. God bless you. Thank you.